Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us here online. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my privilege to continue on our current series, The Eye of a Lion. See, we kicked off this series a few weeks back with Pastor Gary giving us a little bit of insight into lions and how they were created with these unique eyes and physical characteristics that allow them to see much clearer in the dark than most. I mean, research has even shown that lions can see up to eight times better than even us humans can in darkness. You know, we believe that in the same way, our creator, the creator of the lions and the creator of us, has instilled in his followers, in his children, in his disciples, the ability to see in dark times as well, more clearly than others could. You know, Pastor Gary noted when we kicked off the series that we can see God's steadfast and never-ending mercy, love, and faithfulness, even in the midst of great turmoil and difficulty and oppression, if we remember him. And last week, Pastor Greg shared about how we can see that we have been privileged. That's right, we've been privileged for a purpose, and especially for a time like this. Today, what I want to do is I want to share with you God's word to help you see that in the midst of difficult and dark times, where all there seems to be are giants of obstacles, giants of opposition, giants of defeat looming right ahead of you, that instead you can see great opportunities. You can see your greatest ally, and because of him, you can see the great victory that is before you. But before we start, can I open up our time in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, we come before you, thankful for this opportunity to hear your word. And God, I pray that your word would open up our eyes and help us to see more clearly in difficult and dark times. I know that there are many that are struggling because of the giants that they are seemingly battling. God, I pray that we would turn our attention and our focus from our giants to the one who is greater than them, you. So God, we can see more clearly that the battle the battle is so much bigger than just us against the giant. God, help us with this. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you know, my wife and I, we found a unique way of having fun and de-stressing during this quarantine time. And it's through eating. We've been driving out to all sorts of different places all over to try to find some of our favorite foods. We've been to Glendora, L.A., Buena Park. And recently, we went to this place out in Orange County. And after we had our meal, we, still, we were still hungry. And we were craving something really sweet. And so I asked my wife, could you find a place? And she looked, and she found this delicious-looking place on Yelp. I mean, get this. It was like freshly made churros with scoops of ice cream right on top of it. So we put in the directions. We got in the car. And then a few minutes later, we found ourselves at some random parking lot with a few food trucks. Now, there were a bunch of people there, and so we had to drive around, and we had to kind of park a little ways off. And I told my wife, you know what? I'll go out, and I'll wait in line, and I'll get us our delicious dessert. And so I got out, got to the line, and I waited for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I got a text from my wife. She, says, she said, where are you? And, and, you know, I understood. She couldn't see me. She, she was probably wondering how long I was taking. So I texted her, you know, we're moving along. And I'm about halfway there. And then a few minutes later, she calls me. And she again asks me, where are you in line? And you know, I'll admit, 
you know, at this point, I was getting restless with her. I was thinking, geez, I'm the one waiting here in line. Just be patient. The churros will be ours shortly. So I told her, you know what, I'm close, and I only have maybe like two or three people ahead of me. We're almost there. And then she proceeded to tell me that there was some strange weirdo that was walking around the car, making her feel real uncomfortable, making these crazy gestures toward her, and making her feel really unsafe. And so I did the most husbandly thing I could do. I asked her, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to leave the line? And she gave me the most appropriate response. She hung up. And so what did I do next? I'm a little ashamed, but I I actually waited in line. I continued to wait until I got a call a few seconds later saying, where are you? Now, to make a long story short, I let the lure of delicious churros and ice cream distract me from the safety and well-being of my wife. You know, I think in any other setting, I don't think I would have thought twice about a choice between dessert and my wife. But here I did, all because I was distracted and my focus was on the wrong things. And you know, I believe for many of us, we may be feeling lost, discouraged, and unable to see in the dark times that we're in. And I believe it's because we're focused on the wrong things. Now, if we're to unlock the eyes like a lion, and we're to have spiritual eyes to see God's provision in everything that we're going through, we need to make sure that our focus is on God. See, when we are focused on God, we can see much more. And so we need to look to him. And when we do, our eyes will see things that most others miss. So if you're taking notes, if you want to write this down or put it in your app, will you note this? When we focus on God, it changes what we see. When we focus on God, it changes what we see. You know, a great example of this is David. And so again, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel 17? And we're going to take a look at one of the most well-known events in all of history, David versus Goliath. And now when you think of David versus Goliath, you'll probably think of stories where an underdog against all odds, overcomes the giant favorite and the more powerful foe. But can I tell you something? That's not what this story is about at all. Because the underdog, he didn't win in this story. And I know some of you guys are thinking, wait, James, what do you mean? What are you talking about? That's not what I heard growing up. Well, let's take a look and let me show you what David saw and so many others missed during the events leading up to the confrontation and the battle between David and Goliath and how it was a fact that the underdog didn't win. So here in 1 Samuel 17, let me set the stage. We're here in a real moment of history. And I think that's important because we often characterize this event as a child's tale. But this is not a child's tale by any stretch of the imagination. What the scriptures are revealing to us This is a battle. This is war, a war between the Philistines and the Israelites, God's people. And so the setting, the setting is in a great valley with a ravine in the middle of two mountains. It was the Valley of Elah. And on one mountain were the Philistines and their army. And on the other mountain was the Israelites. And here they were in both positions of great power and strategic strength. And this is probably why neither one of them really wanted to go all out and give up their position. 
And so this was kind of a stalemate for many, many days as the Bible would describe. And so the Philistines came up with a strategy. What was it? Well, they were to send out their best warrior, Goliath. And Goliath would come out and he would challenge the Israelite army to send anyone out for a one-on-one winner-take-all battle. Doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, surely someone in Israel's army could come out and take on Goliath. But take a look at verse 4 as we get a better description of Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 4, it says, And there there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. If you guys are taking notes, would you guys circle or underline the word champion? This champion was named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I had you underline the word champion because this is the first and only time the word is ever used in the Old Testament for someone. And according to Pastor David Platt, in the original language, it literally means the man between two armies. And what a giant of a man he was. See, the Bible tells us he was six cubits and a span. And most estimate, that means that he was about nine feet, nine inches tall. And other scholars have debated, thinking that it would have been closer to four cubits in a span, which would have made him closer to six feet, nine inches. Either way, though, in comparison to the average Israelite man's height at that time, which was about 5'2 to 5'6", this is what it would have looked like. Here's a picture, here's a picture that I put up for you of my wife, Darren. A few years ago, she ran to former Laker and former NBA star Lamar Odom, who he himself is about 6'10". My wife, she's about 5'2". So if Goliath was 6'9", David was about 5'2", this would have been the disparity. Now just imagine if he was 9'9", three feet even taller than this. Either way, Goliath would surely have been seen as a great, big giant of an enemy. And get this, he wasn't just tall. Check out verse 5. 1 Samuel 17, 5, it says, He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 5,000 shekels. That's equivalent of 125 pounds. Basically, he was wearing the weight of of an average Israelite man as his armor. And then in verse 6 and 7, we learn that he had a bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So that means his iron spear weighed about 15 pounds. And on top of that, we learn that he had a shield bearer who went before him. And this sidekick, he carried a shield that was the same size of your average man. Guys, this is one of the most detailed descriptions of a warrior in this battle, but anywhere in the Bible. And I think it was to give us an account, an idea of what people were seeing when they saw Goliath, an invincible, an invincible character. But will you remember in 1 Samuel 16, just the chapter before, when God told his servant Samuel that God doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at things much deeper. God looks at the heart. But see, apparently the Israelites here, they were looking at the outward appearance of this great giant. Because look at how they reacted when this giant came out and he challenged them. Follow along in verse 8. It says this. He says, he stood, Goliath, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, 
Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, it says, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Saul, the king of Israel, all of Israel's army, they were scared to death. And it would seem understandable. I mean, who could take this man, Goliath, out? He's so big, he's so strong, he's a champion. Then all of a sudden, here comes David. David was the youngest of eight sons. Three of his older brothers were serving in Israelites' army. And the only reason David was there because his father sent him to deliver lunch to his brothers and to check in with them. And what we can gather about David at this point in history, David was considered a young man, maybe in his late teens or early 20s. And he was a shepherd. He was not a trained warrior for the army. And even in the chapter before, when Samuel was looking for the next king, when he talked to David's father, Jesse, and asked him, hey, who would be appropriate? Who do you think it could be? Jesse, David's father, brought everybody out except David. He didn't even think about David. He wasn't even someone that his own father considered someone worthy, strong enough, or looked like a king. And so by all accounts, David wouldn't seem like much of a match for this giant of a champion. But see, David, he saw something that Saul and all of Israel failed to see. See, let's take a look as, at what happens when David shows up and sees and hears this giant. In 1 Samuel 17, we'll start at verse 22. This is what begins to happen. David, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. See here, we, we find David running out to meet his brothers, and David's journey from home to the battlefield wasn't short. Scholars say it was probably about a 15-mile journey. So after traveling further than a half marathon, David is there having a conversation with his brothers and other soldiers when all of a sudden Goliath comes and begins to shout. And this gives us yet another picture of how towering, how big how overwhelming Goliath is. Because think about it, his voice resounds throughout a camp of thousands. And it's enough to silence all other conversations and send everybody into a panic. And he had been doing this for 40 days. Every day, this Philistine would come out shaming the people of Israel and in turn, the God of Israel. And all of the Israelite army, what was their response? Shaking in their boots, but not David. Because take a look, we continue on in verse 25. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up, referring to Goliath? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Did you hear that? The king was offering an unbelievable reward for anyone that could kill Goliath. 
David didn't miss it. Continue on in verse 26. It said, David said to the men who stood by, wait, what? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from, this, from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. See, David heard about the reward that was being offered to anyone who would take down Goliath, but he was so stunned by it that he had to ask again, wait, what was the reward? And get this, it was first the person would get riches to enjoy for all of their lives, of course, if they lived after their battle. Second, whoever fought Goliath and won would get Saul's daughter. That means they would be a part of the royal family. And then third, we're told that the family would be free in Israel. In other words, no taxes, no obligations. But see, no one else focused or was enticed by this opportunity because of the obstacle before them to receive it, Goliath. But David saw the opportunity because he saw Goliath differently. He didn't see an insurmountable obstacle or unbeatable enemy because he was focused on God. Which leads me to our next point. See, when you and I, when we focus on God, you will see opportunities instead of obstacles. You will see opportunities instead of obstacles. See, Saul and the rest of the Israelite army saw Goliath as someone too big to fight. But David, he didn't see an enemy that was too big to overcome, but he saw an opportunity that was too big to pass up. A reward for himself personally and his family. He saw an opportunity to encourage the Israelite army and to bring an end to this war for the the nation of Israel. He saw an opportunity as he would declare when he ran out into battle against Goliath later on, a chance to declare, to defend, and to extend God's glory. Church, I know that we are in difficult times and face many challenges, and there are a lot of obstacles, giant ones in front of us. But will you see, instead of those big, giant, difficult things in front of us, keeping us from experiencing God's joy and grace, that we have actually opportunities, opportunities to grow personally, to leverage our lockdown and use this extra time to read more, pray more, serve more. You know, it's so easy to focus on just the obstacles. But you know what? As a church, we can't. Because we see instead opportunities to reach more people. I mean, here, even online, we're reaching more people in different places all over the world than we would have had we not had everything happen the way that it has happened. Forcing us to close our physical doors, but opening up online doors to reach more than we've ever done before. We've been reaching people from New Jersey, Texas, Washington, and all sorts of other different states here in the U.S., but even across the globe. We've heard that people are watching from Japan, the Philippines, Africa. Guys, instead of seeing obstacles, we have seen the opportunities to reach more for the glory of God. And we've also seen how people in our own church have used obstacles as opportunities to serve and bless others. See, one of our life groups here at our church saw an opportunity in the face of another's obstacle. See, we have a man here at our church who faithfully attends and regularly regularly serves in different ministries. Many of, you, many of you would probably know him if I shared his name. Well, when everything happened with the pandemic, he got stuck at home. See, he's a bit older. He lives alone. He has no car. 
He lives on a fixed income, and because of that, he had no access to the internet. And some of you guys might be thinking, well, what about his phone? Well, he didn't even have a cell phone. The only thing he had was a rotary phone. I know some of you guys don't even know what that is. See, there were many obstacles for this man to stay connected and plugged in. But a life group didn't focus on his obstacles. They saw an opportunity to help him and to serve him. So they adopted him. They checked in on him. They made sure that he got the things he was ne- that he needed. They also got him a cell phone and, and, and decided that this was important so that he could have access to the internet. And so just recently, for the first time, he was able to connect with some of the men in the men's ministry that gather on Saturdays. He was able to watch a service all because his life group had eyes like a lion, eyes like David, and saw opportunity instead of obstacle, the opportunity to help someone. So they acted rather than letting the obstacle get in their way to do nothing. Church, there are so many more like this man who attend our church, who have no access to the internet, or even if they do, they don't know how to use it. We know that there are many who are lonely, that are in need. Will you see their obstacles as opportunities? No, our church is trying to. We were initially overwhelmed with the thought of how do we reach out to people? How do we help people? How do we even find their names? What can we do? How can, how can we really help and serve so many different people? And, and so what we decided was like, no, we can't let the obstacle paralyze us to do nothing. No, we need to see the opportunity and do something. And so we've come together and we decided to launch a new ministry to help those that feel the great gap of disconnect mentally, physically, and spiritually because of everything that's going on. This new ministry will be called The Bridge. And if you're interested in helping, in helping people turn their obstacles into opportunities of service and love and serve as their bridge, we want you guys to go and check out our website, southbaycommunitychurch.com, or, or there should be a link or, or the website information down below. But take a look there, and you'll be given an opportunity to give us some of, some of your information to find, more, find out more about what we're doing. Also, if you know of anyone that can be served by this ministry, the bridge, by receiving a call, having someone check in on them, run some errands, or just pray for them, you can also go to that same website and submit their name and their contact information. So if you're interested, let us know, and we'll give you more information as we are trying to figure out more things. And again, if you know of someone, sign up. Give us their information and their contact information so that we can be that bridge. Let's see what David saw, but let's also do what David did. See, David didn't focus on what couldn't be done, but what needed to be done. He didn't focus on what he couldn't do, but what he should do. In the same way, this leads us to our next point. When we focus on God, when you and I focus on God, you'll see what you should do, not what you can't do. See, in this story of David and Goliath, the point is not just to be brave in the face of giants. The point of this story is to be passionate about God's glory and the things of God. So much so that it moves you to action. See, David loved, revered, honored, and defended the name of God. This is what drove him to go out into the battlefield. He didn't care about what he couldn't do. He went out and did what should be done. See, I want to encourage you to live in the same way. When you face challenges in your life, in your family, in your work, 
more than you desire anything else, desire God to be glorified in that challenge. Live out the calling to honor him and be obedient to him. And I hope that you will see what you should do, not just what you can't do. Guys, I know there's a lot of things we can't do, especially during this time. Like we can't come here to the church building. We can't do this in person. And so you might be thinking, I can't invite a friend to the physical church, so I can't really evangelize. But see, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. It tells us that, no, we are to go and make disciples. It doesn't say, well, well, except when you can't physically come to the church. See, the Bible tells us that we should worship. We should meet together. We should serve each other. It doesn't say, oh, well, except when there's a pandemic. No, these are commands, and there are no exceptions. So with an eye like a lion, see what should be done, and don't focus on what can't be done. You know, Jesus, Jesus even called out his disciples when they were focused on can't instead of on what they should. Let's take a look in Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Here Jesus is out teaching in front of a great crowd. We're told that about 5,000 men at least, not counting the women and the children. And they've been sitting there listening to Jesus speak. And then in verse 15, we see that after a long time, this is what happened. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him, came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go, out, go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And we're told that Jesus took that and he was able to feed everyone there and even have leftovers. So church, let's stop with the can't. But James, but no, I know that there are some things that you are thinking are just impossible, and I get that. But let's leave the impossible to God. That's his domain. See, nothing is impossible for him. Instead, let's you and I focus on what is possible. See, some of us have used can't as a reason to not do what we should. Stop, focus on God, and you'll stop using that four-letter word. And instead, you'll start to do what you should. That's what David did. And remember that guy that was adopted by a life group that I mentioned earlier? That's what that guy did too. See, after being able to finally see others, connect with them online, and watch the service, he was compelled to thank God and to continue to give his tithes and offering. Now remember, he's on the older side. He doesn't have a car. He's on a fixed income, which isn't much. But that didn't stop him. He didn't say, well, I really want to give my tithes, but I can't. I, I can't. I don't have a ride to the church. Uh, I don't make a lot of money. No, what he did instead is he walked about two miles each way, four miles in total, to come to the church and literally drop off his tithe. Maybe he didn't have a stamp. Maybe he couldn't take the bus. Maybe it's because he knew the church was closed. But those reasons didn't stop him from doing what he couldn't do. He did what he should do. And so he came, walked, and gave his offering. Will you see the opportunities instead of obstacles? But will you also see what you are called to do, what you should do, and go and do it? Instead of seeing what you can't do and letting that keep you from doing it, you know, before the epic battle between David and Goliath, the word, the word got to the king that David wanted to fight and take out this Philistine. 
that he wasn't going to just sit back and let this Goliath, this giant, bad-mouthed God. And so Saul and David came face to face. And when Saul took a look at David, he had no confidence in him. Take a look at what he says in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. He says, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he, he has been a man of war from his youth. David had confidence, but Saul had his doubts. All Saul could see was what David lacked. But take a look at what David had. In verse 34 through 37, it says this, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. So your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And so David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, Saul had concern for what David lacked. He didn't have eyes of a lion. See, David, he saw what he had. He had faith in the faithfulness of his father. And so in the same way, when you and I focus on God, we need to be like David. You will see what you have, not what you lack. When we focus on God, you will see what you have, not what you will lack. Because that's what David saw. David saw the confidence to go into the battle because he saw that he had the faithfulness of his father on his side. Because he focused on what he had, not what others said he lacked. David found confidence in the midst of fear and failure because he focused on God. Like David, when we focus on God, we can be fearless because we have God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness gives us confidence, and confidence has its way of melting away our fears. One example of this was this. How many of you guys hate heights? I'm not too bad. Heights aren't too bad for me, but there's this zip line at a camp where we take the kids. It kind of looks like this picture that we'll put up for you. And in order to get to the top platform to jump off the zip line, you'll have to go up what the kids and I have dubbed the stairs of death. This is a picture of what those stairs look like. Now, it wasn't quite these stairs exactly, but could you imagine these stairs kind of being loose and shaky, and having one of its legs missing and standing on a cinder block. But, but I promise, promise, it was safe. We wouldn't put your kids in danger. But the first time we went up those stairs, there was a lot of hesitation and fear. But after going up and down safely, that fear slowly diminished. And after doing it again and again, it got easier and easier. What changed? Not the circumstances, not the situation, not the equipment, not the height or the view, but the, our confidence in the stairs because it has shown the ability to keep us safe, safe to walk up and down over and over again. Guys, our confidence shouldn't be found in people or circumstantial things or in things that are temporary and won't last, but in God. Will you see the faithfulness of the undefeated champion of them all? 
that he is with you, he is for you. He is one to keep his word over and over and over again. He's done it for generations upon generations upon generations. The Bible, the Bible is full of stories where God has come through. Even look at your own life. I hope you guys would keep a journal, a prayer journal, and see all the answered prayers that God has delivered for you. Take a look at other people's lives and see how God has delivered for them. See, when you and I focus on God, we will see that we have the faithfulness of our Father. That's what David relied on. David had God, God's character, and the promises from his faithful father. And so instead of running away, he ran right into battle. And in the same way, when coming head on towards a giant or difficult challenge, focus on God and find the confidence in your father's faithfulness to face any giant. Don't focus on what you lack. Focus on who you have. See, David clung to what he had, God because he was focused on God. And because his focus was on God, he also knew something that everyone else seemed to forget, that this wasn't going to be an upset when he won. He knew the victory was in hand. He saw it. And that's what we will see as well. When we focus on God, this will lead us to our next point. You'll see victory instead of defeat. You'll see victory instead of defeat. We're going to take a look at the climax of the battle between David and Goliath, and we will see what David claimed and how he saw victory before he even approached the giant. Take a look in verse 46 of 1 Samuel 17. It says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This is David speaking to Goliath. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead, body, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth, earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. See, David saw who was with him and who was for him, not who was in front of him and who was against him. And because he saw God with him, he knew the battle was his. He saw the victory was already God's. So you remember when I said that David and Goliath wasn't a story about the underdog prevailing against the mightier foe? Do you see why now? See, many of us focus on only David Verse Goliath. And that's how a lot of the Israelites saw it as well. That's how Goliath saw it. That's how the king Saul saw it. But not David. From the very beginning, he saw the real champion in the story. David knew the odds weren't against, against him, but they were actually in his favor because it was the Lord's battle and the Lord, the Lord was with him. Take a look at how the name that David used to describe the Lord as he went into battle. Put up your 1 Samuel 17, 45. This is the NOG version, the names of God version, and it will give us the name that, God, that David used of God as he approached the battle. 
David told the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh Seboth, the Elohim of the army of Israel, whom you have insulted. Now, Elohim of armies, it literally just means the Lord of armies. The other one, Yahweh Sebaoth, that means the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. David knew the Lord Almighty, the commander and the Lord of armies was going in with him and before him. So he knew it was over even before it started because he knew it was actually two against one. Goliath versus David and God. See, the giant stood no chance against the undisputed and undefeated champion of the universe, Yahweh Sebaoth, the Lord Almighty. It wasn't an underdog versus a giant. It was a giant against God and his servant. The underdog was the giant, and he didn't win. That's why David and Goliath isn't about an underdog winning. It's about the champion using his servant to overcome giants. David knew this because David saw things that no one else saw, because he was focused on God. David's focus wasn't on himself as the underdog to make history. David saw God as the mighty champion who was going to slay the giant, and David was just part of his story. Today, will you see the same thing for your life? Will you see the champion of your story that you are not the underdog because it's not just you alone against whatever giant is in your life. It is you and the Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty, the champion that, never, that has never lost and that is greater than any giant. Even the great giant of death, the one that many say is the ultimate equalizer, the one that has never supposedly been beaten, the only sure thing along with taxes, not even death, though, is greater than our God. You know, the great evangelist Billy Graham saw this because his focus was always on God, too. And so once he said, you know, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just change my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. See, Billy Graham, he knew that death wasn't the end and the loss of life but just the beginning of the victory over sin and death for eternal life. You know, later on in his life, in his late 80s, a few years before he died, when death was seemingly more closer of a reality than ever before, he still doubled down and said he did not fear death because of the victory he saw in God. This was another quote. He says, do I fear death? He said, no, I look forward to death with great anticipation. I am looking forward to seeing God face to face. See, he knew that even death, the death, that the giant of death couldn't beat the greatness of God. He claimed and clung to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is undefeated, even against death. 
There's nothing too big, too hard, too difficult for the champion. David and Goliath shows us that God is a champion. It reminds us of Jesus and how he conquered death. He, like David, was the unlikely hero who defeated the enemy in an unconventional way. And he took out the giant that seemed invincible. David and Goliath should remind us of Jesus and that there is no giant that is greater than our God. So stop seeing obstacles. See opportunities. Stop focusing on can't and see what you should do and go out and do it. Stop looking at what you lack. See what you have and most importantly, who you have. That you won't see impending defeat, but instead see the already won victory. Focus on God and you'll begin to see it. And when you do, go. Stand up to the giant and run into the battlefield with your sling and your stones. But more importantly, with the confidence in the faithful Lord Almighty who is with you and who is for you. And go and let him make history by using you for his story to slay more and more giants for his glory. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, I know that there are many who are facing giants that seem insurmountable, seem invincible, seem unbeatable. But God, I pray that you would help turn the attention of all those people looking and trembling and overwhelmed by their giant. And God, turn their attention and their focus to their God, to you, the one who is greater. God, I pray as you do that, that you would help them begin to see opportunities instead of their obstacles. That God, you would convict them and move them to see what they should do and that they would go and do it instead of seeing what they can't do and using that as an excuse to do nothing. God, I pray that you would also help, help people see not what they lack and what other people think that they need, but God, instead, help them to see that they have all that they need in you, their, your, the faithful Father who is with them and for them. God, as they see that, I pray, I pray that they would no longer see defeat as an option, but see that the victory is already won because of you, the Lord Almighty. God, we thank you. We thank you for this story where the underdog doesn't win, but where the great God, the great champion, and his servant do. God, would you help us to experience those same victories in our life as well as we focus on you and see these things. We love you and thank you. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.